Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. I'm so happy that you're able to join me at the end of the week so we could take a hard look back at all the madness that uh, we and our country have been experiencing. And believe me, there's no shortage. This is a target-rich conversation. Uh, It is Friday. It is July the 5th, the day after 4th of July, America's birthday, when we stop and uh, celebrate the birth of the greatest nation, in my judgment, that this uh, world, that our species has ever produced. That's not to say it's a flawless country, not to say we haven't made our share of mistakes, just like any human being. Uh, America is uh, comprised of its people, not the mountains, not the cities, not the highways, people. Uh, There's a wonderful song that Frank Sinatra sang, uh, What is America to Me? And at the end, the, the lyrics go, most of all, it's its people. That's America to me. I won't sing. I, I used to make money with my singing. People paid me quite a bit not to, so I'll spare you. But the lyrics are, are, are wonderful. It's, it's a great song, and that is what we need to remember. America is about its people, and the American population is the most diverse on the planet. So the idea that there are people that are critical of America, well, that's fine. But it's very upsetting to think that some people don't understand what we have here, what America has created, what Americans have created. There have been wrongs in the past, and we work harder and more diligently, I believe, than any other country to address our shortcomings, our failures, our failings. Um, We should be proud to be citizens of this great nation. And, And for those who don't like what they see, well, then let's work together to make it even better, you know, think about the Declaration of Independence to make, a, you know, to create a more perfect union. Yeah, grammatically, that's wrong, but intellectually, that's right. Um, we're always working to make ourselves, hopefully, the best that we can be, and we should be working to make America the best that it can be. But America can't be at its best when we weaken it when we become divisive and attack each other because of our political beliefs. Uh, The whole point to the First Amendment is the idea that we are free to peaceably assemble, to engage in discourse, debate, perhaps argument. That is the democratic process. And I know that some conservatives are cringing and saying, no, this isn't a democracy, it's a republic. But the process is a democratic process. The voice of the people, that's what it's about. And so the rancor, the, the vehemence with which we approach each other from both sides of the political aisle is toxic, it's destructive, it's certainly not helpful to America or to Americans, but it does give comfort to our adversaries and it makes it easier for crooked politicians and forgive the, the uh the redundancy in that expression, the crooked politicians, to run roughshod over us. We're busy fighting among ourselves while the real collusion takes place between both parties where the immigration issue is concerned. That's just the flat-out truth. It was the Republicans who wanted the open borders, free trade, open borders, move people around like chess pieces, free trade. And the Democrats used to push back and say, you can't do that. You're going to destroy the jobs and wages for Americans. And at some point, the radicalized Democratic Party, hijacked by the radicals, uh, embraced this idea about opening up our borders to change the electorate, I believe. And when people say, well, they're just doing it because they want to import voters, they the Democrats, maybe, but it's also pushing America to the left, because as we lose disposable income, we as an Amer- as Americans, and we've seen that, the whittling away of purchasing power, as we become more dependent on assistance programs, 
<clears throat> subsidized food, subsidized housing, subsidies. Well, the Republicans aren't going to offer you subsidies. They'll offer corporation subsidies, perhaps, but not the hardworking Americans. They don't get subsidies. The Democrats offer the subsidies, so the only way for the Democrats to do that is for greater numbers of Americans to vote for the Democrats. So if America suffers the loss of its middle class, that's music to the ears of the Democrats that then hope that the people that are having rough economic times will vote for their candidates who offer to help give them free whatever. Uh, And that doesn't work in the long run. We really need to understand that the government needs to meet the needs of its citizens. Uh, We the people, not we the corporations, you see, we the people. Government of the people, by the people, for the people. People, not companies. And when we do what we do to placate the banks and to placate the companies and Silicon Valley and the various special interest groups, um, the damage is being done to the Americans. And increasingly, our government has been doing everything possible through the politicians and through the media to blur the distinction between citizens and non-citizens, a term that we use as aliens. That's what it means. Any person, not a citizen or national of the United States, is an alien. Uh, it's in the Immigration and Nationality Act. That's not my definition. It's not even a definition that comes out of the dictionary. It comes out of Section 101 of the Immigration and Nationality Act. And every body of law has to have definitions. If you look at the laws governing firearms, before you can govern firearms, you have to have definitions about what constitutes a gun. It may sound common sense to you, but if you don't have a definition for a firearm or a gun, how do you then devise laws that address firearms? Same thing with dangerous drugs. Same thing with motor vehicles. Bodies of law have to start with definitions. That's why the words that we choose are so critical. And going back to Jimmy Carter, we started this nonsense. We had to call all aliens immigrants, ignore the fact that aliens aren't the same as citizens. Um, And and so here we are. And of late, instead of just saying undocumented immigrants or the undocumented, now we've added two new terms to describe aliens, migrants and asylum seekers. Migrant is not necessarily an alien. Cesar Chavez, who started, headed up – was the founder of the American Farm Workers Union, represented American migrant farm workers and was furious at the illegal aliens coming in because they were taking the jobs and destroying the wage structure, meager as those those wages are, for American migrant workers. But we're now using the term migrants. The migrants are coming across the border. No, they're aliens, folks. But this is, again, part of the plan to obfuscate the truth. It's Orwellian. It's not political correctness. Alter the thoughts by altering the language. They're asylum seekers, really. So potentially any alien can apply for asylum. So now we have a new term to describe aliens. We call them asylum seekers. And boy, oh, boy, you you couldn't imagine a more sympathetic um, nickname to give them, other way of looking at them. But most of the aliens who run the border are economic refugees, and you don't qualify for asylum by being an economic refugee. That's nonsense, because by that standard, half the world should be able to come to America and, and, and file for asylum. So understand what's happened. The use of language has been instituted to make it impossible to have an honest conversation about what I believe is the most critical issue that confronts America. Because if you can't keep our enemies out of the country, you can't protect us. If you keep flooding our country with more workers than the number of new jobs we are creating, you're going to hurt American workers, either take their jobs or suppress their wages. Labor is a commodity. You know, I've discussed this many times on the program. But the goal is clear to eliminate the distinction between citizen, alien, lawful immigrant, temporary visitor, or non-immigrant, and illegal alien. We just smush it together, and they're all people. People are coming. Swell. And that brings us to where we are with the census. Um, For many years, one of the questions on the census is whether or not the person filling out the form is a citizen or not. doesn't go into... Are you on a temporary visa? Do you have a green card? Are you illegally? No, no, no. 
All that, this, all that has been asked, and that's what the Trump administration wants to ask, is are you a citizen or not? What in the world is wrong with that? If you look at the census questions, and then I believe it was every 10, you know, one out of 10 had to fill out the detailed information. I remember doing one of those. It was crazy. So they, they get into what your earnings are and how old you are and all kinds of stuff. Very intrusive, I thought. But somehow it's inappropriate to ask people completing the census, are you a citizen or aren't you a citizen? And the knee-jerk reaction from the left, oh, my God, this is about scaring the immigrants into not filling out the form. Why would it scare anyone to say whether or not you are a citizen? It's not asking are you under a warrant of deportation. All the form will ask if the president gets his way, and I sure as hell hope he does get his way, is to answer a simple question. Are you a citizen or not? Big deal. But understand why we have a census, because the census determines the apportionment of seats in the House of Representatives, and as a consequence, the votes in the Electoral College. In fact, Jimmy Carter, and I've written about this for Front Page Magazine. You should check out Front Page Magazine. They do great work. I also now write for Dennis Michael Lynch, dmlnews.com, and we do podcasts every week. And I'm really excited because we're scheduled to film a documentary um, on immigration, and and I'll be working with them next month. We're going to start work on the documentary, dmlnews.com. But but I've always made this point about how – We've got to get back to the fundamental idea that Jimmy Carter was the guy who first found a way to exploit immigration. He ordered immigration agents during the census, which happened on his watch, to not arrest aliens. The idea was we need them all counted, and if you're out there arresting people, they're going to hide. Didn't say that about drunk drivers, didn't say it about bank robbers or drug dealers, but God knows we've got to count the aliens. But, of course, he didn't call them aliens. He's the one who started this Orwellian nonsense of referring to them as undocumented immigrants, undocumented workers. Um, and, and, and I have a real bone to pick with him also. When this past week he said that Trump, President Trump, is not, is not the, a legitimate president. It was Jimmy Carter who gave the world the Iranian nightmare. It was Jimmy Carter who made it easy for Khomeini to come back into power. And, and the Khomeini regime immediately showed the gratitude to the United States by seizing the U.S. Embassy in Tehran and taking, I, I believe the number was 30 to 52 hostages. Uh, one of them was, was the resident security officer who I had worked with here in New York. So we had American embassy officials, including the ambassador, taken hostage. And that was right after President Carter, brilliant, brilliant president, can't find his way out of the bathroom, decided, oh, we're going to help Khomeini come back to Iran and and install a a theocracy, Um, even though the prior government that was there, the Shah of Iran, was a friend of the United States. But forget that he's a friend of the United States. Let's betray our relationship with the Iranian people and let's bring in some total wackaloon um, who was living in exile in France. Jimmy Carter made it possible. Jimmy Carter also gave away the Panama Canal. What a, what a swell guy. The decisions that he made will reverberate for generations, and these are not good decisions. This is the guy talking about the legitimacy of the current president. It's astonishing uh, I didn't even think that, that this fool could stoop to that level of a low. But, but there he is. There, there's no end to what this guy can, can do or say. It's just truly remarkable and appalling. And appalling. There is no reason that we should have this nightmare in Iran. I could put that right back to Jimmy Carter's brilliant decisions uh, on the world stage. Absolutely astonishing. So it was Jimmy Carter who started this nonsense that we're not going to arrest illegal aliens during the census because they all need to be counted. He was politicizing immigration in a way that had never been done before him. 
That's where he could trace it back to, back to its origins. And along came Ronald Reagan and gave us the first amnesty and gave us the visa waiver program. Both political parties have found a way to exploit immigration to make the their corporate donors happy, the banks, the special interest groups, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. All of them are, are thrilled to death that America's borders are anything but secure, never mind how it endangers our safety. And you finally have a president who says enough is enough and says, you know, we have the right. We have the right to know whether or not people living in America are citizens. It also helps to figure out if there's voter fraud. It also helps to figure out how many people are in our country, how much money needs to be spent on education, on infrastructure. We need to know. But God forbid you should try to differentiate U.S. citizens from non-citizens and you become a hater and a xenophobe. Uh, the insults just keep on coming. And I find it remarkable. Uh, there are stories that some um, members of the U.S. Border Patrol have taken to Facebook um, saying things and that they shouldn't be saying. And, and I understand that it's not professional and it's not the right thing to do. But if you want to talk about a lack of professionalism, let's think about Alexandria the barmaid, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I refuse to use her initials. She's certainly not JFK, LBJ, or HST, Harry Truman. So she will, in my mind, no matter what she ever accomplishes in her life, be Alexandria the barmaid, the woman who had the chutzpah, the outrageous chutzpah, to compare immigration detention facilities with concentration camps. And you look at the Democratic Party and everyone becomes mumbles. Nancy Pelosi, when she was questioned, said, oh, I heard she said something about something, but I don't know what the something was, so I'll get back to you with some time to talk about the something that I don't know anything about. That was the kind of answer you got from Pelosi, Speaker of the House. Nadler, who happens to be a Jew, turns around and says, well, when she said never again, which, by the way, is the rallying cry, meaning never again should the world experience the Holocaust, wow, never again should we be disrespectful. Really, really, Jerry, you think that the Nazis were disrespectful to the Jews, the 6 million they killed, the 13 million altogether they slaughtered, the Americans who died at their hands? Jerry Nadler, you're a fool. You're a fool with no balls. A real man would stand up and say, you know what? What she said is despicable. But Jerry Nadler is more concerned with insulting the president of the United States and showing he has moral fiber and a spine. That's what we have for supposed leadership. That's not leadership. That's not leadership. Some woman who gets a couple thousand votes in Queens becomes the face, the voice, and the leader of the Democratic Party. Are they that hard up for leaders? Really? That's the best you can do? Somebody who thinks it's appropriate to compare detention facilities that immigration runs to hold on to aliens while their cases are being adjudicated? with the death camps of the Holocaust, the forced labor camps of the Holocaust? Really? It's astonishing. It's shameful. It's embarrassing that someone like Nadler, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, doesn't have the balls to stand up and say, wow, how dare you? They don't have the guts. They don't have the guts to, to go after any of their own, no matter how outrageous they are. It just keeps on coming. The hits just keep on coming from the Democratic Party. And, of course, where's the Republicans in all this? Missing in action. Why was there no border wall created while the Republicans had control of the House? Because they didn't want a border wall. They want to talk the talk but not walk the walk. Because no matter what happens, at the end of the day, both parties are in agreement that borders simply are impediments to the wealth of the people at the very top of the economic food chain, the people they are beholden to for their campaign contributions, which have become nothing more than bribes. You think about that. You think about that. You have members of the Senate from the Democratic Party going into Mexico and guiding illegal aliens into the United States, and we're supposed to say, oh, how wonderful. How wonderful. It's astonishing. I wrote an article for um, Front Page Magazine. They just published it earlier this week on July the 1st. And, and the title of my article 
was the Dems determined to leave America borderless. Um, I, I hope that if you haven't read my article, you will, that if you did read it, that perhaps you would consider forwarding it along to your friends, posting the link on Facebook, because it's really important that all of us understand what we're really dealing with. There's a lot of lies being told, an awful lot of lies being told about immigration, about immigration officers. When you look at the statements being made about immigration agents, Cuomo calling them thugs, um, Alexandria the barmaid, comparing the Border Patrol with, with Nazi Germany, those words have impact. Assaults on immigration agents have risen dramatically. People's willingness to cooperate with immigration law enforcement declines. And if you want to go after the human traffickers, well, the agents who are supposed to go after human traffickers are ICE agents. And the way that you go after human traffickers, and I speak from experience because as an immigration agent, I, was, I rotated through every squad within the investigations branch in New York City and spent several years in the anti-smuggling unit, which is what it was called back then. Now, of course, we call it human trafficking. And even that term is fake. Yes, there are women and children who are trafficked. They are moved around the world against their wishes as, as, as sex slaves, as indentured laborers, and so forth. And it's disgusting. It's despicable. But when somebody goes to a smuggler, when a foreign national goes to a smuggler and says, here's $10,000, get me to New York, he's not a victim of human trafficking. That's like saying that the John who goes to a house of prostitution is, is the victim of a sex crime when he pays a woman for a sex act. No. The guy that pays the smuggler to get him illegally into the United States is a co-conspirator. He is committing a, cr a crime. But we call them human trafficking victims. No, he's not a human trafficking victim. But again, let's obfuscate the distinctions that need to be made. Let's obfuscate the truth. Let's muddy the waters so after a while everyone just shrugs their shoulders and says, gee, I don't know what to make of this. I don't know what to make of this. Anybody who goes to an alien smuggler and says, here's money, get me to America, sneak me into the country, is not a victim of human trafficking. They are co-conspirators. They know exactly what they're doing, and they are paying for those smugglers to commit a crime against the United States that constitutes a felony. Okay? Just absolutely astonishing. You know, you look at Cory Booker, by the way, uh, I just have to finish this up. Cory Booker, the senator from New Jersey, has a meeting with Farrakhan. Again, nobody speaks out against this. Farrakhan is a rabid anti-Semite who referred to Judaism as a gutter religion. Nobody would criticize him for that. But when President Trump says, let's be careful not to let terrorists in, he's a racist and a bigot. Immediately. Why is nobody willing within the Democratic Party to stand up to their own members and say what you're saying is outrageous? We've seen other members of Congress on the Democrat side make all sorts of crazy accusations, attack Israel, uh, make anti-Semitic remarks. Nobody speaks out against it. Nobody. But it was funny because when Joe Biden said that he was willing to work and had worked with segregationists, he was immediately attacked. Well, it was interesting that Senator Byrd, um, longest-serving senator, was a member of the KKK when he was growing up. But they don't want you to think about that. And the fact that Joe Biden perhaps worked with Byrd, instead of saying, okay, we understand that, he was immediately attacked. How dare you work with segregationists? Listen, segregation and slavery were immoral, outrageous, disgusting, despicable. I don't know what word you want me to use. Very disturbing. No argument for me. <clears throat> but why is it that nobody in the Democratic Party, while they scream about segregationists, have nothing to complain about when people associate immigration agents with the Holocaust, which, by the way, not only insults and impugns and endangers the agents, but trivializes the Holocaust. As far as I'm concerned, those statements are as much anti-Semitic as they are anti-immigration law enforcement, 
and as an American, as a Jew, and as a retired INS agent, uh, for me, she hit the trifecta, Alexandria, the barmaid. But you're not going to hear a word of dissent from the Democrats. It is astonishing. Uh, On the one hand, they have a mascot, the donkey, I call it the jackass, but now they have a new mascot. It's crickets. It's what you hear whenever these outrageous statements are made by these members of Congress and the Democratic Party. Crickets. Not a word. Not a word. Booker goes over into Mexico, brings back aliens with him as though he's some heroic character encouraging aliens to violate our borders. I'm working on an article, the front page, by the way. I know I'm getting off topic, but I just wanted to put this out there. Looking at the way the the debates have been conducted so far, it's more like a quiz show. 30 seconds or a minute to give an answer, and nobody does follow-up questions. I'd love to see some follow-up questions, and there are none. They, They almost need to buzz in like Jeopardy or something, you know. What would you do with the immigrants? Legalize them all. Thank you for the question. Next, let me ask Senator so-and-so. What would you do? I'd legalize it too. That's great. And Senator so-and-so, really? That's a debate? How about making people accountable? How about asking them how that squares with the findings of the 9-11 Commission? I'll tell you. I would love to see every candidate for the presidency, every candidate for governorship or the mayoralty in the country, asked one question. Have you read the 9-11 Commission report? Have you read, follow-up question, the staff report on terrorists' travel, the staff, of course, being the 9-11 Commission staff, which went into detail about how immigration failures undermine national security and made terrorist attacks possible? Uh, Let's start out with the preface from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. We hear this nonsense about we don't need a wall and we don't need borders and everything is honky-dory. So let's start out with the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. This is the quote. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. We believe, for reasons we discussed in the following pages, that it must be made one. That quote is in my most recent article for Front Page Magazine. Again, the title of my article, Dems Determined to Leave America Borderless and Hence Defenseless. How in the world can you call for open borders and terminating immigration law enforcement in the middle of a war on terror? We have a problem with Iran that is escalating because of a lousy deal that the Obama administration entered into, which made it certain that Iran would ultimately have materials to create a nuclear weapon. No way to really monitor what they were doing. It basically put them on the road to a bomb just delaying it. Well, this isn't something you delay. This is something you prevent. So the president, President Trump, stands up to Iran, stands up to China for all the crap they've done to us. China, the number one country for sending us fentanyl, and how many people have died of fentanyl, building nuclear their nuclear fleet, building an artificial island in the South China Sea, hacking our computers. And we've allowed China to make such inroads in America. We gave them most favored trade status under George Herbert Walker Bush. God only knows what he was thinking or what motivation might have been behind that. And it leaves a lot of questions and no good answers. This is a communist country that has no concept of human rights for its own citizens. They've sold the part, body parts from their prisoners. Really? Most favored trade partner. This is your partner. That's like saying Al Capone is your partner, right? Partner, most favored trade status. We train their programmers, they hack our computers. We train their engineers, they commit espionage against us so frequently that the intelligence community has come to call it Chinese takeout, being sarcastic, of course. 
president stands up against this, and Wall Street goes nuts and says, oh, my God, this is going to hurt profits. To hell with the national survival. China has us in their sights. Why do you think they're building their military? They want the resources for themselves, and they will do everything and anything possible. We've allowed them to make inroads into our educational system where, with enough contributions, they get to pick members of the faculties of some universities and decide on the curriculum using our schools as a place to disseminate propaganda? Are we crazy? We heard so much about how, my God, the Soviet Union is gone. The Berlin Wall came down. Putin is still a dictator. He's still a tyrant. Once KGB, always KGB. But China is a communist country, plain and simple. Plain and simple. Their idea of human rights is North Korea light. So give me a break. You finally have a president stand up to them, stand up to Iran. And meanwhile, as I've I've mentioned before on this program, Iran has been working through Hezbollah with human traffickers and drug smugglers to flood America with narcotics and hundreds of thousands of aliens, and among them are sleeper agents. This is nuts. And you don't think we need a secure border? You think that this is somehow going to end well for America or Americans? Really? And then you have these members of um, the Democratic Party that want to be president saying we're going to legalize all the immigrants? Boeing aircraft. You have to know about this unless you've been hiding under a rock someplace or living in a cave with no communications. is having significant problems because of the latest version of their 737 that crashed twice, killing hundreds of people. And it turns out that there was a computer program problem. There were other problems with the airplane, and it was deemed not safe to fly. It was grounded. No one's flying it. Those planes are on the ground, costing the airlines a fortune. You can't imagine what it costs for an airliner that costs $150 million to sit on the ground for months and months. I remember when I worked at the airport, JFK, after every flight left, the emphasis from the ground crew working for the airlines, because back then I was a single guy dating some of these young ladies who worked for the airlines, and I remember listening to the briefings, and they would tell me that if a plane left three minutes late, there was hell to pay because that airplane on the ground back in the 70s, every minute was costing I don't know how many thousands of dollars. So if a plane is delayed three minutes, four minutes, eight minutes, a door didn't get closed quickly enough, they didn't finish loading the food fast enough, they were slow in getting the passengers on board, and then they got tied up and couldn't leave right away, so maybe the plane was 30 minutes late. God knows, tens of thousands of dollars. Well, all of those Boeing airplanes have been grounded because it's been decided that those planes aren't safe. The figure is staggering. It's in the many millions of dollars, millions and millions of dollars. It's a matter of safety. You have politicians insisting that we have to legalize everybody who's here. And the Democrats say we'll give them citizenship, and the Republicans who are tough say no citizenship, but let's legalize them. Sure, let's drive them into the law firm offices of immigration attorneys across the country. That would make them all very happy. Let's consider something. Again, 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. I wish somebody who calls himself or herself a journalist had the balls, the brains, or the integrity to ask this question. When a politician says, let's give them lawful status, here's a quote for you to think about. I'm quoting from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. This is an official government report published by the U.S. Government Printing Office, written by the federal agents and the attorneys who were assigned to work with the 9-11 Commission. It's an official report. This isn't some you know, comic book that was you know, drawn up somewhere. This is published by the U.S. government. Here we go. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. Asylum applicants, huh? 
applying for asylum after entering. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. Terrorists were free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. Attorney General Barr just stated that the government has the right to hold on to people applying for asylum until their applications are adjudicated, and that's the best piece of reasoning that you could imagine to understand why he takes that position. You have the court saying, oh, we can't hold on to these people. Let them go. I wouldn't hold them. You have Congressman Castro. Oh, we we should decriminalize illegal entry into the United States. Sure thing. Sure thing. So we're being warned that this process lacks the ability. The Sarnea family got asylum. You saw the attack at San Bernardino again and again and again. Two members of Hezbollah, sleeper agents, were naturalized citizens. Faisal Shazad, the Times Square bomber, set off that SUV, SUV uh, vehicle bomb, if you remember, in Times Square in 2010, was a naturalized citizen. Became naturalized less than a year before he set off the bomb. The Tsarnaev was naturalized less than a year. One was naturalized less than a year before the attack in Boston. Clearly, the system is overwhelmed and can't adjudicate applications with a shred of integrity. But unlike the Boeing 737 that was grounded because it's not safe, the beleaguered agency known as Citizenship and Immigration Services keeps cranking out the applications, processing more than 6 million applications every year. They're overwhelmed. And nobody says to these people in Congress or these people that want to be the president, next president, God forbid, how do you deal with the fact that there's no way to process those millions of applications properly? No interviews, no field investigations. 19 hijackers killed how many people on 9-11? The same roughly as we lost to Pearl Harbor. And how many more have since died because of their exposure to the toxins? And many more are still sick. We've spent over $7 billion on health care. And now there's a new bill before the Congress to continue the health care to the year 2090-90-2090. And I was on a program and someone said, well, why would you want to do that to 2090? It's, it's, it's almost impossible that anybody who died on 9-11 uh, is even going to be alive then. And then I said, well, think about this. Those people that were covered with all of those toxins when they went to work on the pile, all those first responders, all the volunteers, may well have brought some of those terrible toxins into their homes and sickened their children, except those children don't know it yet. They don't know it yet. So they pushed it out to 2090 so that these people will be cared for. And I don't know what the hell Mitch McConnell was thinking. And his anger at John Stewart, when Stewart, you know, insisted that they do their job and was angry that nobody showed up for the hearing. I know that frustration. I've been to hearings where if there's going to be a media circus, every seat is taken. When I testified before that hearing about how two dead terrorists six months after 9-11 could be given permission to go to flight school, Muhammad Atta and Marwan al-Shehi, every damn seat on that dais was taken. Every member of Congress was there. Every one of their staffers was lining the wall. It was standing room only. There was a line that wrapped around the federal, the, the, the House uh, office building, the Rayburn building, of people trying to get into that hearing. And, of course, when those politicians see those cameras, oh, my God, the most dangerous place in Washington is to get between a camera and members of Congress like Chuck Schumer, for example. Goodness, then they're there. But not anybody wanted to really show up to hear what John Stewart had to say uh, and, and, and that police officer who just passed away, who was fighting so hard to try to, 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 to get the proper care for all these people who were dying. He himself died. I believe he was 53 years old uh, because of his exposure to the toxins, died of colorectal cancer. Um, and Mitch McConnell could be angry and say, what's he so worked up about, meaning John Stewart? We have an abysmal track record of caring 
for those who care for America, who protect America. You look at the armed forces, how we mistreat our veterans, how they get lousy care. They put their lives on the line for us. Some of them came home missing body parts, mentally injured, emotionally injured, paralyzed, missing limbs, blind, deaf. These aren't scratches. These aren't cuts and bruises. These are people who will be debilitated for the balance of their lives, and it doesn't just impact them. It impacts their families. But they're treated like garbage, unfortunately, all too frequently. And why not do it to the first responders? We have a tradition of treating our people like crap. And I got to tell you, when I hear people screaming about the civil servants and how lousy and, well, those government workers, and I hear this more from the conservative side than I do from the liberal side, except now it it, it seems to be the, the new sport is to attack immigration enforcement on the left. These are all how dare yous to me. For anybody out there who thinks it's a picnic to be a federal agent, if you think you have what it takes, try out for it, since it's such a gravy train. For those of you who make all these remarks about civil servants, disgusting. If you think it's such a great deal, why aren't you taking that job? Why aren't you sending your kids to become federal agents if you think that it's such a great deal? And even the the other folks who work for the government, Without them, the missions that need to be done won't get done, whether it's inspecting the food that we eat or the airplanes that we fly in. They do critical work for us. It's time that we respected the people who breathe life into those government agencies that protect us, that make our lives better. You know, I I just find it astonishing and appalling when I hear all these negative remarks about civil servants, I was a federal agent for 30 years, and it's something I am super proud of. And, in fact, for one of my birthdays, my wife had a gold ring made up with the image of my badge on it. I wear it every day that I, that I wake up. I put that ring on. We have the right to be proud of the work we do, and if we serve our country, if we serve our communities, it's something we ought to be proud of. So... Think before you go on offensive about all those civil servants. Um, what the Democrats have done um, is despicable. Going after the Border Patrol and ICE agents, screwing them over, endangering their lives by creating public animosity toward people who put their lives on the line every day when they go off to duty. They go on duty not knowing whether they'll come home at night or if they do in what condition. Um, We have to wake up, folks. America has become far too divided. This is a divide-and-conquer strategy being employed by our enemies, and all too frequently it seems that our enemies are the members of the political elite that we elect. And the saddest thing is I've gotten to the point that I really believe that all too frequently we walk into the voters' booth, um, we wind up with a two-sided coin. You know, heads they win, tails we lose. We need to change this dynamic, but it's not going to happen if we're fighting among ourselves. We need to focus on those who would take down our borders and leave us defenseless. Flood America with foreign workers. Uh, You had one nitwit during the debate say that we have to give free health care to the immigrants. And again, we're talking about illegal aliens because if they come here sick and we don't treat them, they can make us all sick. The immigration laws under Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, says that if you suffer a dangerous communicable disease, you are not to be admitted into the United States in the first place. We have no problem quarantining children who suffer the measles because we're concerned that if they haven't been uh, inoculated to prevent measles, that they could be carriers of a disease that could be crippling to a child. So you've had districts around the country telling people, well, if your kid hasn't been vaccinated, they can't come to school. And it's only reasonable that we not permit aliens into the United States if they suffer dangerous communicable diseases. Ellis Island was a quarantine station. At the time of its completion, it consisted of 22 hospital buildings, making it at the time the largest hospital complex in the entire United States of America. So today we're told, no, you can't keep these people out. You have to give them free medical care. Well, if you're offering the world free medical care, free food, free housing, one candidate even suggested free clothing 
how do you plan to deal with the onslaught of God knows how many millions of people charging the border? And as I said this morning when I was on Bobby Gunther Walsh's program uh, over at WAEB in uh, Pennsylvania, I said, you know, this is, this is kind of like a Black Friday sale. You've seen it. You know, they're selling a, an $800 TV for $200, and everyone storms into the store looking for that bargain, and people get trampled and injured. Sometimes there have been fist fights and stabbings, and people have gotten killed because there are too many people trying to stream through too few doors, trying to grab up too few products that are on sale at cheap prices. That's the analogy about what we've done to the border of the United States. And it's not just the caravans. Because what's happened is that eventually these aliens get released. And where are they headed? To the rest of the country. We are being flooded. And after a flood, think about what happened after Hurricane Sandy ravaged the Northeast. I I lived through it. I never experienced anything like that before in my life. I hope I never see it again. After Sandy left, The damage wasn't done. The damage was ongoing. There were still houses being rebuilt how many years after Sandy? This massive influx of illegal aliens who disappeared did not pursue their asylum applications because they knew that they wouldn't be approved, or especially when they were denied. They didn't leave. They embedded themselves, and we have no one to look for them, and we are going to pay a price for this for decades to come, overcrowded schools, overwhelmed infrastructure, hospitals. We can't do this. You can invite so many people over for dinner. You, 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 don't, you don't invite the world to your house for dinner, and then you realize you only have three pizza pies. America has finite resources. We admit a million-plus lawful immigrants every year. They're given green cards. They're placed on the pathway to U.S. citizenship. We admit tens of millions of temporary alien visitors. We have anything but a closed-door policy. In fact, under President Trump last year, we admitted more immigrants than did the Obama administration during its last year, if I have the statistics correct. They're certainly very close, but I do believe that, that under President Trump last year, we admitted more immigrants than they did the last year under the Obama administration. But that doesn't stop the, the radical left from screaming about how Trump is anti-immigrant and he's stopping immigrants from coming to America. No, what he wants to do is stop illegal aliens from coming to America because it poses a threat to our safety and our well-being. And if you look at the issue about asylum, it was even mentioned in that sentence, and there's been other hearings about asylum fraud where terrorists have claimed asylum and then because they got asylum were here legally and carried out an attack like the Tsarnaev brothers, and there are others. That's why the words are so critical, folks. That's why it matters. Immigrants and illegal aliens are not the same. And when we call illegal aliens asylum seekers and migrants and immigrants and undocumented, you're missing the point to the exercise. A rapist isn't an overeager suitor. A drunk driver isn't the sobriety-challenged motorist. And a guy who walks into a bank and walks out with money at the point of a gun didn't make an undocumented withdrawal. Now, I understand that there's a lot of very desperate people who come to America because the situation in their home countries is very difficult. But the solution to world poverty isn't to have the world come to America. That's like overloading a lifeboat and then watching the lifeboat capsize with everybody on board going down. America has finite resources, and we're very generous. But the national deficit is going through the roof, and more people that we bring into the country, the greater the deficit grows because these folks are sending money out of the country. They're getting the earned tax credit. Our schools are overflowing. And when people say, well, they pay tax, tax on what? Bubble gum? You know, look what it costs to educate a child for a year in public school. I assure you that illegal aliens working on menial jobs don't pay enough tax to pay for one of their kids to spend a month in school. And where's all the other resources and costs and so forth? These are the lies being told by the open borders immigration anarchists. 
that anybody who knowingly hires an illegal alien doesn't do it out of compassion, but out of a desire to exploit. That's not the American tradition to exploit people, treat them like indentured servants, force them to work under substandard dangerous conditions. I've seen it as an immigration agent. There's nothing compassionate about this. This is about greed, greed for power and greed for money at the expense of immigrants, true immigrants, Americans, American minorities living in poverty. Look at the drug crisis. You think that legalizing pot is good for our kids? We worry about vaping. We worry about cigarette smoke. There was a study done about the impact of cigarette smoke on the fetus in the womb. And not just if the mother smokes, but if the father smokes. Well, what happens if they're smoking pot? Well, that doesn't matter because now we found a way to make money off of pot. Understand what's happening. This is not governing a government that's of the people, by the people, or for the people. Anything but. Anything but. But my dad taught me that I would teach people how they should treat me by demonstrating what I'm willing to accept. Why in the world are we willing to accept this? Why in the world aren't we questioning all this nonsense. When we watch the debates and you don't see follow-up questions, we ought to be looking at that and saying, wait a minute, it's all well and good that uh, Sanders said, well, you know, the families are running from Honduras to get away from the gangs, and we have to admit them. Well, how about the follow-up question? Hey, Bernie, how do you keep the gang members out of America? Because MS-13 flooded America with the unaccompanied minors of the Obama administration. We saw it up close and in person. I began investigating MS-13 back around 1991, 1992. They were always crazy and sociopathic and violent, but there was only a few of them, relatively speaking. Now, MS-13 has been flooding into the country across that border that is anything but secure. And we're being told that somehow we're xenophobic if we resist. There was an article about how um, you're anti-immigrant and a xenophobe if you don't want loads of Indian programmers and high-tech workers to come to America. So that's not xenophobia. It's called survival because those workers are displacing American workers. Why in the world should any American be intimidated by the, by the bullying tactic of being called xenophobic Well, what we're talking about is the loss of lives and jobs of Americans here in the United States. As Americans, we need to get together. We need to sit down and have conversations and look to find what makes us most similar, not what makes us most different. This toxic BS about the Latino voter, that somehow if you're a Latino American, you have different values than all other Americans. If you believe that Latino Americans, because of their race, are different from all other Americans, well, then you are fitting the classic definition of a racist. You're making value judgments about another American based on their race. That is what racism is. And you're also a damn fool. If we sat down and had a calm conversation, basing it on facts, you'd be shocked at how similar we are as Americans. We all pretty much want the same things for ourselves and our children. We want to live in a safe country, where we're protected against America's enemies, where the streets are safe for us to go out and shop and walk and and visit with folks, get the crime off the street, get the drugs off the street. We want the schools to educate our children so that any American, irrespective of what I call the superficial factors, race, religion, ethnicity, gender, any American could write the next great success story if he or she is willing to work hard, study hard, and benefit from some good luck. But when you flood America with foreign workers and you provide opportunities for foreign workers over American workers, which flies in the face of our laws, Roosevelt, during the Depression, was adamant that no foreign worker should get the job of an American. That was when the 40-hour work week came about because Roosevelt said, if you have so much work that you need to give your people overtime, hire a different worker so we get somebody else off the unemployment line. That's what we're talking about, folks. But this seems to be a radical conversation. Pelosi is upset because the president says, if you overstay a visa, you need to be deported. She says, my God, you would arrest someone for overstaying? Of course. I used to do it all the time as an agent, and I was happy with it. In fact, it wasn't only overstaying. If I found somebody on a tourist visa working 
we would arrest them even if their time hadn't expired because tourists are not entitled to take a job. You're stealing a job from an American. You're stealing an opportunity. One of the best things that my partner and I did before hiring illegal aliens was against the law. There was a gas station behind the airport, behind JFK. And we used to, when we worked the night shift, go to that gas station. And invariably, he had illegal aliens working there at night. We would arrest them and call them up and tell them, hey, listen, you better come down here because we're taking these two guys into custody. You've got 30 minutes. And after that, uh, your gas station is going to be unattended. We actually had him show up one day in a bathrobe. I couldn't, I couldn't stop laughing. It angered me that he kept hiring illegal aliens. And he finally said to me, when will you stop doing this to me? I said, when will you start to hire Americans? And a couple of months later, my partner and I swung by the gas station. And I pulled into the gas station, and there were two American black kids working in the gas station. And when we told them who we were, they got all excited. They, they told us that their boss had told them about us and that he was hiring them because he was sick and tired of us having to call him up and he had to come in in his bathrobe or whatever and spend the night in the gas station because we had arrested his employees. And both of those kids were working their way through college. I, I'd love to believe that they went on to very successful careers and are very happy, but they kept thanking us. They said, because of you, we got this job here in the gas station, and it works out perfectly because we go to school during the day and at night we do our studying and we pump gas and we're able to pay our tuition at the school. That's what this is about, folks. That's what this is about. Multiply those two kids by millions. If you could get rid of people who are working without permission, you could put more people to work and get them off of, out of poverty and put them on the track for mainstream economic America and improve their futures. And at the end of the day, if we improve the future of our people, our people, we're improving the future of America. Remember, America is made up of its citizens of every race, every religion, every ethnicity. As Americans, we need to stand together. We are our brother's keeper. It was so rewarding to see those few kids working in the gas station. And every now and again, we would drive by, wave at them, and they'd wave at us. And they stayed there, I'm going to guess, until they got out of college. What a wonderful thing that was for them. And it made my day because we realized that we had an impact, at least in the lives of those two kids who found a good way to earn money while going to college. Why does nobody ever talk about the other side of the equation? Oh, these poor immigrants. No, they're illegal aliens. How about the poor Americans who've lost their jobs? Or the Americans who've been injured or lost their lives or were raped by people who shouldn't be here. And yes, I know I'm going to hear people say, well, Americans do those things too. And the answer is sure they do. But do we need to allow foreign nationals to come here to add to the crime rate? Really? One in, I think it's now one in five inmates in federal custody are here illegally or at least subject to deportation from the United States. That's a huge number because they don't account for one in five people living in the United States. It makes no sense. It makes no sense. We need to have debates that are based on fact, not fantasy and fiction. And we need to stand up. We need to accept the fact that as Americans who live in a democratic republic, we bear responsibility for our destiny and for the destiny of our country. And it's not just about voting, as important as that is. It's about getting involved. It's about holding politicians accountable. It's about going to town hall meetings and asking questions and follow-up questions. And perhaps video recording those sessions on your smartphone and putting it on YouTube when you get the dodge and weave routine. We need to make those folks that we elect understand that they are our employees, not the other way around. And we are lousy employers when you consider what we allow our employees to get away with. I thank you so much for joining me. I hope you all had a wonderful 4th of July yesterday and a great weekend coming up uh, starting tomorrow. Meanwhile, I look forward to uh, speaking with you again next week at the same time right here on the Michael Cutler Hour. Please read my articles if you like them. Forward the links to as many friends of yours as you can. Post it on Facebook. And remember, folks, Democracy is not a spectator sport.
Good night. See you next week.